You're listening to the Hidden Battles Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by HiddenBattlesFoundation.org in partnership with Swim With The Mission. You can find them on Swim.org on the internet with your hosts, Scott Heider and Chris Hurst. Welcome to the Battlecast. Hey everybody, welcome to Hidden Battles Radio. It's Scott. Yeah, and Chris. Hey, and you know, we got to change that because we have our regular with us and I, I just haven't gotten around to saying, hey, Ice Mike. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, so we have an interesting show tonight. We have a good one. Uh, we're going we're gonna to break out first because we have a, a caller calling in soon. But uh, Chris, when we start off with those magic numbers. Sure, National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That's 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. You can text the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to the number 741741. The new three-digit suicide prevention hotline, 988. Veterans can press 1. Or the three-digit emergency number if you're in dire crisis, Scott. That is 911. All right, so let's we'll try to get some uh, stuff out of the way right now. Mike, why don't you, you just told me about something amazing. Why don't you give us that real quick? Yeah, so I was talking about the COPS Counseling Act. I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. It's, it's fairly new. What is COPS stands for Confidentiality Opportunities for Peer Support Counseling Act, right? COPS Counseling Act. And with this uh, encourages the adoption of law enforcement peer support programs, pretty much co- codifies the confidentiality aspect of, uh, of, a, of a legit peer support member and anybody reaching out to peer support. So the great thing about that, too, is it's almost like uh, that um, doctor-patient confidentiality type of thing, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, what do we always tell people? If you're an officer-involved shooting, don't talk. Keep your mouth shut. Go to the hospital. Don't talk to anybody. Well, what does that happen? That, that makes the person, you know, bottle it up inside as opposed to now they could talk to a peer support member who could be right, right there with them while they're at the hospital and while they're, you know, um, you know recovering. They could bounce ideas off them and, and, you know, get that off their chest and instead of keeping it bottled up for two or three days till they write their memo. You know, know it too is think about, the, think about the mental trauma that's going on at this point. Exactly. So they take the, the handgun away immediately, right? So now you, they're stripped of their weapon, which is a, it's a huge psychological thing. And then you're told, don't talk, which makes you think, maybe I did something wrong. Yeah. Right, so this is that's that's huge. Now, that's what I will say, stuff. this applies for federal law enforcement, but it, it, you see where this is going, where, where the yeah. states are going to definitely going to jump on board with this. And in the federal law enforcement, if they do take your gun away, they're going to give you a new gun on the spot. Is what the, for that reason that you just said yeah. that the trauma of losing your gun—that's their identity, right? Yeah. So now they can talk to a peer support member and get that stuff off their chest. And the peer support member doesn't keep any records, and that confidentiality can't—he cannot be subpoenaed or, or brought into court to talk. Yeah, absolutely, that's huge. So another thing we've been talking about a lot lately is the PACT Act and the Compact Act. All right. So tomorrow in Lowell, uh, which is going to be March 2nd, 2023, from 4 to 6 p.m., it's going to be the VA PACT Act Town Hall Info Session. Um, It's going to be at the Mayor's Reception Hall, 375 Merrimack Street. There's food and snacks provided, disability claims clinic on site. Um, there's going to be a bunch of stuff. And they're going to explain what the new PACT Act is all about. It's uh, about veterans being exposed to burn pits, Agent Orange, and other toxic substances, which they're trying to link basically any cancers back to, right? If you've been in these areas, you've been exposed, and that's huge. It's about time that they're actually... I mean, think about all the Vietnam veterans that were fighting because of Agent Orange, you know, exposure. 
and getting cancer. And it was so now it's a huge step in order for that. Then we're going to talk about, uh, they're not going to talk about that now, but let's just briefly talk about the Compact Act of 2020. That is for veterans who are in mental health crisis. If they need help, you can't use, I don't have health insurance as an excuse anymore. You can go into any emergency room free of cost. The VA picks it up for a six, uh, sorry, a 90-day outpatient program or a 30-day inpatient program at zero cost. That is picked up completely by the VA, and you don't even have to be enrolled in VA health for this to work. Right. That was and that was passed in 2020, but but these specific things that you just mentioned started as of January 17th. So it's been very enhanced, and and that's great. It's long overdue. Yeah, and this is like it's steps. You know, if we talked about this, some people say, as far as mental health goes, this is the best time to be a police officer because there's so many mental health programs out there. And there's so much mental health awareness and where we have a lot of veterans transitioning over into the first responder world, I think it's huge. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about, you know, what you just talked about, I think that it'll actually going to transfer over to, you know, our other you know, brothers and sisters in the firehouse and EMS and stuff. So these are all little steps that are actually going to get bigger. And it's led by example, and it's adopted by other agencies, and, and it, it'll be huge for us. I mean, it's legislative evidence that gives peer, that peer support does work, and that and the confidentiality is legit. Because some people may doubt it, but as you can see, it's 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 legislation that we that we keep that confidentiality. We're not here to talk about it after we leave you. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, the lines are open. If you want to text in, uh, it is nine seven eight four five four four nine eight zero. Uh, you can text in. Um, we'll be answering text, and we actually have our guest on. So, Chris, do you want to introduce him? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, our guest tonight is Detective Captain David Betts from Chelsea PD. Uh, Dave has been in law enforcement 35 years, roughly, and um, he's a huge player in the uh, mental health world with uh, making movements. Um, Dave, unfortunately, lost his son to suicide. And uh, we're going to ask Dave some questions and just uh, hear what we have. Hey, Dave, you there? I am here. Can you hear me? I can. So the only thing we ask is no swearing and you just speak up. All right. One out of two. All right. I won't swear. All right. Thank you. Um, so thank you for taking your time out um, no, to be with you. us tonight. And uh, thank you for all the efforts you're making to in, uh, include and increase the visibility and the awareness for mental health and police officers no well i mean it's right back at you it's uh you know like i said it's it's a group effort there's no i in this team yeah absolutely. to find out the hard way you know agreed so um I've, I've been reading a little bit about you since uh chris brought you to my attention and uh one i'm sorry for the loss of your son uh, i know that Thank feeling you. i lost my brother to suicide uh and i I'm also sorry. found my brother um and you found your son, and, and that's yeah. horrific. But we here at Hidden Battles, we like to take the negative and turn it into a positive, and you're absolutely doing that. Uh, you're trying to make a change, uh, and, and I would say in honor of your son, and I think that's huge. So thank you for that. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. So, um, sorry, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 go right ahead. So, so give us a little heads up on some of the programs that you've been, you've been working on. I mean, you're huge with getting 988 out there. Yeah, well, I mean, like most of the things I think of, you know, this in, in the twilight of my career when I'm, you know, at my desk now rather than out, out and about, you know, I'm sitting in my office and it overlooks the Tobin Bridge, which, you know, in and of itself is that negative symbolism that we've all come to, to 
he has a point of distress. Um, you know, so sitting there collectively thinking about what had happened with my son, what happens, you know, too often in the community. Um, you know, I, I spent so much time focusing on law enforcement, you know, rightfully so, that I said I'm kind of doing a disservice to everybody else out there because of, you know, the how prolific it is just amongst, you know, people with seven or 800,000 people a year are taking their lives worldwide. So why not try to be the eyes and ears of, you know, what we're all trying to prevent and what better way to do it than, you know, be the public billboard, if you will, of, you know, of policing and the 988. They see us for negative, you know, it just is what it is for the most part. Um, and if they can look at us as, as something positive or being proactive or just be that one, you know, that one split second that they get to look at something and see, like, hey, wow, somebody actually does care, um, you know, and make that call. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, like, the littlest thing, asking somebody how the day is going, um, just, you know, a simple smile can change the impact of somebody's day yeah. instantly. It, and, and what I like to say is to, to the younger guys, if you see, you know, the older guys in the, in, in the police you know, community like yourself in 32 years, mm -hmm. and you've been through a bunch of different departments too, but when you see someone, you know, a captain, and you see somebody in administration preaching mental health, it encourages the younger guys to really be key on that, really just have to look into it and not suck it up and, you know, and, and drive on or suffer in silence. Oh, or whatever, yeah. Right? Yep. So, and that's what's huge. When we start getting our leaders to, and behind the whole philosophy of getting mental health, then that's when it's going to be a change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it, it comes from, you know, seeing it coming up through the ranks, of, you know, starting out when I was 19, you know, here I am a young kid starting out when, when you quit at that age and you, you go into these calls that you don't have any life experience and you're telling other people what to do. And at that time it was quiet practice after work, you would go and that was basically our, our peer support unit was in the middle of a graveyard and, you know, doing things that they did then. Um, so that was the unwritten, um, way of us to decompress or the, you know, the, the macho way. Mm -hmm. And you fast forward to, to today and you look back and you say, man, I didn't even have the necessary tools to be able to go out and deal with what I was dealing with, let alone dealing with what I would have to deal with after the cumulative stress of, you know, 30 some odd years, 16 hours a day working, and then you go home and you have your own life to deal with. Um, and that's what I've come to find out with a lot of other things after being in the drug unit for so long. You know, everything becomes an epidemic or a pandemic when it unfortunately affects higher tiers of society. And you, you hate to look at it like that and become somewhat cynical, but over the years you kind of see through the, you know, through the weeds of how things get done. And it affects, when it, when it affects somebody so negatively um, that is in a position to change, something that's when it gets done um i was ignorant to that fact myself for a long time you know just just doing this for for as long as i did it was basically like you said suck it up by the cup or lather rinse and repeat mm -hmm. um and you would you know we'd be on to on to cincinnati like belichick would say it's just another call yeah now it's not just another call you know and if i can impart what i've learned you know through this my tragedy um you know, in, in my 30 some odd years, I've made three death notifications and one of them was to my family after finding my son, you know, and that is the realism behind it is not something you're going to read in an academy or in a promotional book or anything or um, you know, the after effects of that is not something that any clinician is going to be able to tell you how to deal with. 
So if you can put the actual, you know, persona of a person that's been through it, it's like everything else that cops go through. You know, there's two things we don't like. It's it's how things are and change. But if you can see somebody else change in a way that can kind of dictate to them how they should go about things in, in their future careers, it does a great service for me, and it also helps me, um, you know, foster my son's mission that he wasn't able to finish. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is, and where we turn that tragedy into triumph, I think, is huge for us. It, it helps us a lot without our dealing with it, opposed to you know not dealing with it and oppressing it. You know, but now with it's with us, you know, trying to reach the younger officers and you know even firefighters and younger veterans or even the younger uh, enlisted or whatever. Um, we tell them all the time, it's, you know, it's the accumulation of trauma. It may not be a big deal today, something you've uh, dealt with, but it's as it adds up and adds up and adds up, and pretty soon, like we say, throwing pebbles in a backpack, eventually it's going to break you if you don't unload those sometimes. So where everybody stresses, you know, physical fitness, we're talking about mental fitness, and, oh, and that's course. huge. And, uh, and I'm, like I said, I never looked at it until I recently went to Struggle Well, and there was a retired Lawrence police officer who had uh, stated that he feels, and when he said it to me, I, I honestly, I was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. He says, today is the best time to be a police officer as far as the, all the programs they're doing for mental health. And mm -hmm. as long as, you know, they're putting it to post, you know, they're following post, then this is going to be a great time for them, especially to, to keep them mentally well. That makes sense. Right, right. Well, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I had, you know, I've said right along, and I'm sure other people have said it and thought it, and you know, we have, by today's standards, some of the best tools to go out and do our job, except, you know, the mental Kevlar that we need to be able to shield us from, you know, these things inevitably we're going to see. And with something, you know, with the post, the way the post is coming around now, um, you know, I, I actually heard one person mention that there was somebody on the post board who actually was more so of an advocate for us to have more mental health awareness and training, because if we didn't have the mental, I guess, stability, is the right word, then other things that we do are going to suffer. You know, yeah. Whether it's our physical stamina or our, our mental decision-making is going to be skewed as opposed to what it would be if we had that solid foundation to know that we didn't have to worry about the stigma or our badge or our gun being taken, which is our livelihood. Absolutely. I mean, think of it as we, we provide a service, right? Or at least mm -hmm. I don't anymore because I'm retired, but we provide yeah. a service of public safety um, and, and trust and everything else. And, and the better the... the service that we're providing with a better human being mentally, you're doing a, a, dis a disjustice to the, to the community when you have somebody that's not doing mentally well. I mean, their performance is, is not as well. They're a little more angrier at calls, sometimes don't even care really at calls because they just, they've had enough of it and they're just going through autopilot at this point. Where if we start to bring back that morality to them, uh, you know, with compassion and it just it gives the community the better police officer, and then it, and, and in return, it looks better for our profession. Correct, and I think, you know, in eight in our in our profession is you know the, the post traumatic stress, right? And I I myself personally have I've taken the D out of it as far as it being a disorder because you know who in their right mind in this job can go through the years that we've gone through, see what we've seen every day and not have some form of post-trauma, right? And we all deal with things differently. Um, and I think that to connotate it as a disorder rather than a maybe a development or some type of other word, it only adds to the stigma, right? And cops hear that and they become more, 
they become cynical and callous and they just shut down and they don't want to talk about it as opposed to just getting it out there and having these mental health roll calls that I've tried to, you know, get going to, you know, you'll go in and you'll brief before your shift about things that have happened. And it's a good thing to go in there and brief about the things that have happened maybe the night before that affected you. You were up all night and both. not just worry about the bank robbery that happened, but, you know, talk about these other things that you dealt with over the course of your tours. Yeah, to actually to bring in a distressing factor of it, like uh, SISM, you know, it's, it's huge, absolutely huge. Yeah. And you know what? Like seven years ago, uh, it's almost seven years that I graduated the police academy. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Chelsea PD actually sponsored me. Brian Kyes was right. the one who signed oh, off on the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm not surprised. Frank Brian, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal leader. You know, yeah. Great personal friend. And he actually signed off on my son to go to... Uh, the Topsfield, I think it was Melita. Yeah, Melita, that's where thing. I went. That's where I went to the academy. Oh, yeah, he was up in, I think, Melita 2 or 3. Okay. I was uh, um, 5. Okay. I was class right. 5 out of Melita. And uh, from when I went to the academy, I think we did, I don't know, maybe one one day of just mental health. When you look mm-hmm. at the – I have tons of friends in the academy now with a full-time academy – they're doing two or three weeks just filled with mental health and they're getting, you know, really it's getting drilled into them like peer support, take yep. care of yourself. Um, it's over the, you know, seven years from when I went to today, you can really see on how much mental health is a huge topic now. Right. Right. And it's, I mean, it's something that hopefully will be, ingrained and indoctrinated into all these academies and the in-service trainings that are coming up. It's not, you know, when I first got promoted to sergeant, I can remember back that there was, I think we had a four-hour block on, you know, suicide prevention for inmates. Hmm. And I didn't really think about it at the time because I wasn't honestly adversely affected by my son's passing. But I look back and I say, well, four hours to prevent suicide to somebody in lockup. It's phenomenal, but let's try to prevent it you know, with our own, with you know anybody else that's out there, and I mean, you guys know what it's like to go to a call where you may or may not have a, you know, a crisis situation or a hostage situation or you know somebody you have to talk to. That's what we do all day. We talk to people. So, you know, not being able to talk amongst ourselves is, I mean, it's what it's who we are, really. Right? We're great at talking to people and solving people's problems, but when it comes to our own. You know, it's out of sight, out of mind. And I, I've I've come to see that now, you know, more so after my son, after I found my son, you know, that day I was, you know, so regimented and I had that tunnel vision that I knew exactly what to do. But then when I finally got to the point of shutting down, I didn't know what to do or how to do it. I was just, you know, a puddle because this happened to me now. And I instantaneously went into that caught mode when it happened. And... You know, it's, it was like they say, fight or flight. So I'm going to fight through this. So I'm going to get this done. I'm going to have to figure things out because it, that's what dad would do and that's what the cop would do. And then once that, you know, that adrenaline and everything wore off, I was just, you know, what, what do I do now? And if it hadn't have been for the support, you know, of, you know, of then Chief Kai's, Brian Kai's, you know, now Chief Houghton, uh, everybody in the command staff that I work with, and just everybody across the board. You know, all these other departments that, you know, that came to our family, you know, to people who knew my son, um, I wouldn't be where I am now, being able to, to pay it forward. And that 
a testament to my son because that's a you know a part of his mission now that I owe him um, to be able to do it where he was so young and seeing so many young guys coming on at you know such a tumultuous time, um, it's more so important now just to get the message across to them that you know they're just a regular person outside of his job. It's okay to be able to talk about whatever it is you need to talk about when you're in or out. You know, good to anybody or yourself if you can't go out there. I mean, a lot of people don't even understand that. More police officers die by suicide than they do by line of duty death, uh, being right. as, as far as gunfire and stuff like them being murdered, car crashes, whatever. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I believe it was like 135 was line of duty deaths, and it was like 156 for suicide. Yeah. And yeah, and and people don't understand that. But and I think it's because of the fact that if a police officer dies, it's all over the news. You know, they they broadcast the funeral and the big procession and stuff. And when police officers die, it's you know kind of hidden. You know. We right. get a lot of the right. died unexpected, um, mm -hmm. you know, so stuff like that. And, and then not that I want to, you know, throw it out there like, oh, hey, this is it, you know. But right. it's, right. you know, the, the hiding the fact of it is not bringing awareness to it. And I think that, you know, I don't, I don't parade my brother around, you know, as my brother took his life or anything. Sure. I say I lost my brother to suicide, and, you know, mm -hmm. and we do it that way. But I don't want anybody, I don't want to hide the fact of it because I, I hope right. to help people and encourage people to seek help. You know, correct, correct. And I think you know, years ago, you know, when I was a kid growing up in a police family, you would hear, you know, often that you know, so and so may have died from cleaning their gun. Yes. And who but, who but you know, law enforcement, military, or people who are very proficient with with handguns, you know, does it happen? Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure there are tragic circumstances where, you know, somebody may have an inadvertent discharge and they, you know, that they, they they pass away, but. I would argue that the vast majority of those were by their own hand and just an attempt maybe to take care of the family thereafter, which is I totally admire and respect that. But it, you know, it didn't really do much for our profession to grow um, and, and get to the point where we need to recognize it as a job-related hazard and you know, treat it as such in the aftermath so that the families are recognized um, you know, both as you know, the victims of somebody dying by suicide and they get the benefits that they deserve uh, because of how they died, right? It's not the saying that Blue Help always says is that, you know, it's not how they died, it's how they served. Absolutely. Um, and if it's, you know, it, there's no doubt that seeing what we see on a daily basis affects people. And none of the pre-screenings that we took or none of the uh, psychological exams that we took, you know, would ever dictate or could ever predict you know, what we would see or what we wouldn't see. Because, you know, if they could, I don't think anybody would be employed right now. No, absolutely. No way. It, yeah, even, oh. it, like, people have suggested, like, yearly uh, mental health checkups. Um, mm -hmm. me. I, I think that sometimes that would be a huge deterrent because you have guys that are just skating through sometimes. You know, they're really, uh, you know, oh, it's not, not a point that they can't be brought back to where they were originally, but there's guys that, have, that are hiding it for years and years and years. And oh, you don't push. realize, yeah, they turn into the bottle or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you were to bring that out, I mean, what would that do to our police force where we're starting to put guys out a lot of mental health, you know, where they should be? But I, right. I think that sometimes we should leave it up to them. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, I suppose there's an argument, argument to be yeah. made, um, you, know, like the, you know, like the hot bill. You know, if your hot's not working effectively, you're going to get pensioned out. And yep. if they were to send you for a fitness for duty evaluation for some type of mental health related issue, you know, I would argue that it's it's 
directly affected or related to your, your service, which would be line of duty. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we should be able to pick and choose what disabilities are or aren't related to the job. If you don't come on with a job-related injury or it's not one of these existing things that they screen you for, um, and then you develop it as a course of your career, um, the most definitely should be attributed to a line of duty benefit. Oh, absolutely. And there are, there's other states like New Hampshire that uh, suicide is considered a line of duty death. Correct. Yeah, that was just most recently. I think they passed the bill, and I remember in, I think it was, it was either 2017 or 2018 when I went up to the state house with Janice McCarthy. Remember Janice McCarthy from Cops? Yes. Yeah, her husband was Paul McCarthy from the state police, and, and she passed recently as well, God rest her soul, but she was one of the biggest advocates and facilitators behind getting that bill up at the state house, you know, for suicide for police officers herself. Um, Jim Lyons, uh, Mike Cabral from Solomon, the former deputy, and Karen Solomon from Blue Help. You know, we all spoke up there at the state house for the bill. And it was at a time before we're at now in, in policing, but we had thought it was going to be well received. But it was tabled and then it just, uh, I think it fell by the wayside for, I think they named like May Maple Syrup Month. It was another bill yeah. that was before them, so it must have taken more of a priority. I went through the same thing with uh, veteran suicide. They actually said that mm -hmm. they were going to create a community to um, to talk about the whole thing. When we said well, there shouldn't right. be a community, there should be exactly. just somebody should be doing it now. Um, and right. I don't understand why it's like that in the state, but eventually it'll pass, hopefully. Yeah, that's a, I mean, like you said, I can't swear on the podcast, so that's a topic for another story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I trust me. I bite my tongue a lot, and sometimes I'm yeah. going one way, yeah. and then I'm about to swear, yeah. and then whatever I says after that just doesn't make any sense. So, because right. I get sidetracked. I mean, no, I, I, I can totally appreciate it, but I, I can honestly say within the past, you know, six months or a year, um, you know, notwithstanding my son's death, um, there's been a lot more talk and advocacy for you know, mental health awareness, 988, um, you know, destigmatizing this and that and having it more, you know, recognized for what it is, you know, whether or not it's because of what we spoke of earlier with it affecting, you know, different tiers of society. At this point, if it gets solved or it gets the recognition that it needs, and I'm, I'm glad it, it, it's getting that, regardless of how it gets there. Absolutely. I mean, I just uh, attended the Struggle Well uh, program put mm -hmm. on by Boulder Crest, and I will tell you, um, it was just talking to Mike about it. He wasn't uh, able to attend, and I said it was probably the best training I've ever had, and I've gone to a lot of training. And I yep. encourage people, and I think it's amazing that there is such training now, that other organizations are picking up the slack of what the state should be doing for us now, or even the, mm -hmm. you know, even the MPTOC, right? Um, but now there's post money, so there's no excuse. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> I know that uh, I was supposed I was supposed to go to that struggle world training, and it was actually the it was on the day of my son's anniversary last week, so yeah. it was a it was a bit of a, a uh, calendar nightmare. I, I would have told you. Sorry, you would have had a hard time then, because it's realistically no. it's it's two days of of deep thinking, right. uh, and oh, it, yeah. I came home mentally exhausted. Sure, sure. I did a week up at the Onsite Academy. Yep. You guys familiar with that? Yeah. yeah. And that was probably, uh, you know, a game changer and a lifesaver for me, just being able to go up there with my peers for a week. And, you know, that I'm trying to think of how you say it now. I get confused between EMDR and EDM. 
Mm-hmm. Those are my alter ego with music and DJing. So I have to keep it in my mind that it's EMDR. Yes. Um, and it was, you know, being up there with those guys and, and, and girls for a week um, amongst your peers, talking about things with no judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you come out of there, come out lighter. You don't come out solved. You don't come out fixed. Yeah. You just come out lighter. And you know that, you know, you can actually sit there and look at everybody else and realize you're not the only one. Right. At the end of the day, that's I think that's what it's all about. You know, you're not the only one. You're not you're not broke. You're just you're in a position uh, and you're in a job that you see people at their worst. Right. Mm-hmm. And we try to and we try to fix them. Yeah. So why not when we are at our worst, try to get fixed? Yeah. And it's a shame that we have to wait until we're at our worst. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I I, I will tell you, if, if we can work it in with you guys, uh, we just put Tewksbury Police and Tewksbury Fire through um, four six-week programs with equine therapy, uh, and I would oh, love wow. to get you guys out there. We'll talk about that offline, but there's sure. other programs out there that are getting guys and girls uh, the mental health they need prior to the breaking point. I mean, we're all dented cans, but I think oh, yeah. when we're crushed, um, it's hard to bring us back from that. And this is sure. this is more of a preventive, uh, like a preventative maintenance type of thing, and I think if the more preventive maintenance that we do, I think the better off we'll be in the long run. Yeah, a thousand percent. I can't agree more. Now, Dave, do you have any advice for any of your fellow officers or first responders, or I'll even broaden it, just anyone in general who might be struggling about seeking help? Yeah, I'd be the first to say that you know I, I sought help. Um, you know, obviously in the aftermath of, of what we went through. Um, and then we had a co-worker, uh, actually two co-workers, one, one who died by suicide and another co-worker whose brother died by suicide. And, you know, people just have to sit back and say to themselves, you know, things are not that bad, no matter how bad they may perceive it um, or how dark of a place, you know, they might be in. There's somebody out there that is willing to listen. And, you know, I could sit here right now and I could talk to you guys and talk to whomever might be listening, you know, or later on down the line and say, you know, you, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, this guy sounds great. All right, this guy, like, he may sound like a total buffoon. But when I get off the phone with you guys or I'm, you know, at work, I have my moments, you know, and I just sit there. But the only thing that keeps me going is the mere fact that I know I can get through to one person. You know, if I can get through to one person, they can get through to one person. And everybody just needs that one somebody that, you know, those things that they teach us in the hostage negotiation schools, like hope and time, right? Everything just needs hope and a little bit of time. And you know, we can get through it. We can get better. And there is nobody on the face of the earth that is not going through something that to them is, is the worst thing. Right. So us, it could be something so trivial that we wouldn't even blink an eye on it on a regular day. We'll go to a call and, you know, and just look at these people like, you know, these people are really having a problem with this in comparison to what we may think. But that's their issue. And that's what they're dealing with at the present moment. And we just have to be able to live for that one particular moment. Right. Like they tell us in these different, you know, reprogramming schools and the rewire schools that we're going to now. We can't worry about what happened in the past. We can't predict what's going to happen in the future. You have to live for the now and just go minute to minute, second to second, day to day, and, and work through it. And I can remember those words being spoken to me by my, my coworkers after my son died, you know, one second at a time, one foot in front of the other. Absolutely. And, you know, you'll, you'll slowly get through it. 
and you'll find yourself, you know, being a little bit more positive and you'll actually see that, hey, somebody cares, you know, and then as, a, as you grow from that, you, you'll definitely start to pay it forward to, you know, to somebody else. And I just, I, I wish personally that I was not so ignorant to the fact of other people's struggling and strife, you know, after doing this job for so long, it just, it just became that, you know, that cycle, that lather, rinse and repeat cycle that we go in, we deal with it, we move on, you know, and people can't do that. And the one call, I'll leave you with this, the one call that I went to probably a month or so after my son died was the suicide of a young, young child and everybody I worked with didn't want me to go, right? And they're all, you know, super protective of me and all great guys, but I needed to go, you know, to, to know for myself that I could still do this job. And when I got there, I realized that I, I wasn't there as the lieutenant in charge of the detectives or doing this or doing that. I was there as a, as a parent who just lost their son. So, you know, you've, you all heard the term, I know how you feel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's even wrong for me to say I know how they feel. I know their grief. And I know my grief. Um, so I can liken what I went through to what they're going through now mm-hmm. and put myself in their shoes at that moment, not as a cop, but just as a parent. And that's what I told this woman through her brother who interpreted. And you could just see her um, you know, basically just melt like, oh, my God, I'm going to be okay. Or there's somebody who knows you know, what I've gone through, not just through a textbook, but he's, you know, he's walked in my shoes and, I think uh, what, I think when it comes to what you and I have been through, um, I, we can relate to a lot of people. It makes us approachable, uh, and it also to the fact that it has enlightened me to some people's struggles are their struggles. Uh, right. I, I can't judge anybody else's struggles. Correct. Uh, what's Correct. little to, to us may not be little to them, you know. And oh, yeah. for Absolutely. us to judge other people at this point, it's it's hard, and it's you know it's it's hard to just jump right into it. You have to really sit back and think like, okay, this is really this person's problem. I mean, I, I get calls all the time. I know Mike mm-hmm. gets calls all the time. Chris gets calls all the time for people who are struggling. And you're like, all right, so what's wrong? I guess, oh, my girlfriend's, you know, broke up with me. And as a, as a guy, I want to say, plenty of fish in the sea, my friend, you know, but you can't. You <laughs> right, literally right. are, you're like, okay, so what is so great about your relationship that's worth saving? And, and then you start to talk to them as a human or, you know, as a peer, or, mm-hmm. you know, almost like you put yourself in that father role to people who may be older than you or people who are younger than you, because now you're talking to them as a human being and trying to relate what their problems are, opposed to saying, you know, the, suck it up out a cup and, you know, keep moving. Right. But, and it just, it, for me, that, it, that opened up a total different way of having dialogue with people. Yeah, and I think it's helped me as far as you know, obviously, I'm not out in the street every day like I was before having to go to these calls. But I can I can see myself now with a lot more empathy, um, you know, towards the people that I do deal with. And I wish that I had had that, you know, starting out. Obviously, I was young then, so I probably didn't even have the, the inner empathy that I should have anyway because I was so young, no life experience. But I think if we can impart you know, our knowledge now to the younger generations of cops that are coming on, you know, to have that empathy, you know, it goes a long way, regardless of the call that you're at. You know, and it could be, you know, a mental health crisis. It could be, you know, a, a bank robbery. If you have that empathy to be able to talk to somebody, and like one of the most famous clinicians in Massachusetts that you may know would say, you have to, 
And he would say, you have to fake it until you make it. You can't fake it. No. Right? You, have to be gen- you have to be genuine because people can see right through you. And I think the genuineness is, is very much apparent now with the younger generation. They're a lot smarter and a lot more savvy. And they're able to read people sometimes, I think, better than we could. Yep. Um, and if, if they know we're being genuine from where we come from, and they see that genuineness in our training and the curriculums that we're trying to instill in them rather than ramming it down their throat, it's going to be a lot more receptive and you know, be able to be used. 100%. And I find a lot of the times it's just listening. You get people mm-hmm. who just want to be heard, just, just to right. talk, vent, and just to sit back. And I just heard the best acronym, wait, why am I talking? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I just heard perfect. that it makes so much sense now, doesn't it? That's you. We should trademark that. Well, no, I, I, I could make money <laughs> off it and then just charge people, right. but it's not mine. I don't own it. Yeah, they're not coming yeah, to you yeah. for answers. They're coming to just, just so you can just listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I tell you, like, I don't know too many cops that like going out taking six or seven or eight accident reports a night. So if you can sit there for an hour and talk to somebody, <laughs> I think that they, you know, they both be better served. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you make a that. valid point there. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> How many arrest reports do you really want? I don't want to do them anymore. I've done enough. I, I honestly, I had uh, crashes down to a science, so I would take other people's crashes just to stay out of uh, certain calls. But, well, I get it. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I, I do. I, I feel for you. I know that you're doing great things uh, in, in honor of your son. And I look back and think to myself, would I be doing this if I didn't lose my brother? And absolutely not. I wouldn't be. So I, I am happy that, you know, my brother's honor. I am helping people, and we've helped a lot of people because of it. No, no I, I applaud you guys for you know, having the tenacity to, you know, to keep at it and do it because it's, like I said, it's, you know, cops are a funny breed like we spoke of. It's, you know, if, if we do something that we think is going to save somebody, we want to write it in the contract and get more money, right? But if it's something that, you know, like a taser or a pepper spray or something that's cool, we're going to take it right out without even training with it. Yeah. So it's a, learn, it's a learning curve to be able to, um, you know, instill these things in, in cops that are not, Sexy, for lack of a better word, right? Yep. But at the end of the day, that's what's going to save the cop, or that's what's going to save this other person. It's not going to be the tool on your tool belt. It's going to be, you know, what's in your head that you can you can think fast on your feet and talk to somebody about. And it's just having a conversation, like we're talking now. It's all it is. Almost goes back to that old philosophy of mental judo, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I agree. So uh, off the off the. So what years were you a uh, police officer in Arlington? So I started there in late '88. And I left in 1990. Uh, I didn't realize that walking a beat overnight in Arlington, East Arlington, midnight to eight, uh-huh. was part of was part of the curriculum. Uh-huh. But uh, there, there's nothing open. And I said, yeah, I, I don't think I really signed on for this, but uh, well, I'll see what happens. And they, then, they have some wonderful brickwork down there, though. I was seeing if you were one, if you had chased me in my youth, but um, no, I was out of there by then. So I grew up in the, I grew up in the projects of East Arlington. Oh yeah, yeah, it's like the one. I remember. I I never yeah. really got a car. If I did, it was up at the Heights. Oh okay. Yeah no. So I, I saw that. I was like Arlington. Ooh, let's see. Let me do some math and see when you were there. So, but no, oh, yeah. I I left before that. I left in yeah. uh, I believe eighty four, eighty five. Eighty four. So, yeah. yeah. So I um, yeah, I mean, I grew up. Well, I didn't grow up in Arlington. We lived there for a few years up at the Heights, and I remember walking the beat one night in the center. And uh, going in the firehouse mm-hmm. overnight, just to, you know, check the doors in the firehouse, obviously. 
And uh, somebody had said there was a teletype for, for Chelsea looking for laterals. And I knew nothing of Chelsea at all. Yeah. I didn't have any high and, and zero inclination as to what it was. But I found out fast when I got there. <laughs> you know, but it's been the best thing I've done. Uh, I still have a lot of friends in Arlington. She's Flaherty. She's the best. A lot of guys I still know work there. Nice. But, um, you know, Chelsea has been, you know, my second home. It's been good to me. Nice. Well, I'm 30. What year? On what year now? For you? This is my 35th. Wow. For you. You looking yeah, at the horizon yet, or you still got a lot well, of life in you? Well, you take the judge's sentence, I'd be out on parole already, as they say. <laughs> but um, so I just got promoted, so usually we do the three years to yep. get the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I have to see a change somehow in, in this field for us. Yeah. In, in the mental health field somehow, you know, or at least know what's going in that direction. I think it is. Yep. And I, and I would like to see it just to say, you know, I made some small contribution uh, in memory of my son and then uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be good. Yeah. Just uh, so I, I say three, three, yep. Three to five. And you know what? I, six years ago is when you uh, lost your son at the end of February uh, when yes. you lost Dave and uh, you, He's looking down on you now, and he's you know very proud of everything that you've done. And uh, Chelsea PD is one of the first forces in the entire nation to display the 988 in both, obviously, English and Spanish on the back of their marked cruisers. And um, I don't know if it's still there, but Route 1 northbound in Chelsea, I believe there was a billboard with a ribbon uh, that yeah. you created with uh, There mm-hmm. Is Hope with the 988 number as well. So I don't know if it's still up on uh, one northbound on that billboard in Chelsea, but... Um, yeah, no, I give a shout-out to their company. Um, I'm drawing a blank now on the name. Outfront Media Boston. Outfront Media, that's it. They, they took the bull by the horns, and there was no questions asked. They said, absolutely. It's actually one in south, so I found out the other day in English and Spanish. And, you know, again, that ribbon was just... You know, a moment in my office, kind of cutting and pasting them together. And uh, between the ribbon that we have, and I came up with the mental health Miranda. And if you guys, I'll send you a copy of that. Um, Ooh, that sounds good. Something else. I just was sitting there in my office one day saying, hey, Miranda, cough's no Miranda. That's why don't we do, you know, you have the right to remain living. Anything you say can will be used to help you, you know. But along those lines. So I'll send you a copy of that too, but... Nice. Definitely something. It's a little wallet-sized card that I had made, and I'm going to start shipping them out to anybody who's who's looking for them and go from there. I'll say, if you want, um, we'll take us some of those because we do a lot of events, and we would love to hand some of those out, and we'll even help with some of the cost on that if you'd like. Yeah, no, I mean, it's I I bought them, and my hope was to. I mean, COVID we used to have a fundraiser for my son, and COVID kind of put everything on the on the back burner. It was a scholarship for him for high school, excuse me, for high school students, I should say. Um, you know, so I had these made. It was my hope now to kind of, you know, farm them out and have them go towards his scholarship. But we can we can talk offline on that. But I'd be happy yeah, to right. give them to you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I appreciate that because I know that a lot of the times that we give stuff away. Uh, Chris made these wonderful little cards, and we gave them away, and a lot of people carry them in yep. their wallets, and I think that would be something huge to have in your wallet. Because what do you do? You, all police officers have the Miranda in their wallet. They have. I used to have a show-up card in my wallet, so yep. I knew how to do show-ups. Um, mm-hmm. And then just then there was the ones that I knew to one I made that was just 
federal agencies I needed to talk to because I needed the OT stuff. But when those little cards are in there, they're definitely good. And you're always flipping through them and you're like, oh, what's this again? Oh, yeah. you're looking at them. So that's a genius idea. I see my wife's bringing me one right now. Yeah. I know it's on it, hon. Tell Janice we said hello. They all said hello, hon. She just closed the door. She's on the phone with somebody. She gives me a card, but no glasses. I can't read my own writing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I'll get it to you. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah, we'll talk about that offline. Dave, we really appreciate you uh, taking the no. time out of your no. night and, uh, you know, joining us uh, and talking about, obviously, this very sensitive subject. This is my peer support right here. This is my system, right? This is where we do our best work talking amongst one another, you know, because of, you know, how we get it. So it, um, this is far more beneficial than, you know, a couch session with somebody who doesn't know me. I know a lot of the time when I speak to other people, I know that Mike does it and Chris does it too, but when somebody thinks they're having a hard time, I usually bring up other people I've talked to. You know, now I can say, mm -hmm. you know, I've talked to Dave and he lost his son and, you know, he thrives and this is what he does. And I think it's how we learn and we pass on each other's stories to almost inspire other people to just keep pushing through. Right. And like I say, you know, our stories are no different than anybody else's stories, really. You know, I talk to dads all over the country now who've you know, lost their sons or, you know, other spouses who've lost their spouses, you know, along with my wife. And um, the stories are all the same. You know, generally they don't see anything coming, great life, you know, nothing, nothing bothered us, right? Well, something did. We just have to learn how to get out in front of it. Yeah, exactly. Find comfort in those who can relate to us. Right. And, and, and vice versa. Help those who can, you know, understand from relatively, you know? So... Mm -hmm. But Dave, we thank you so much. Uh, we're going to play um, your son's favorite song now, and uh, we will oh, be in you. touch. Um, Perfect. And yeah, when, and let's uh, let's try to meet in person. I'd love to have coffee with you sometime. And yeah, hundred percent. I, I I know the boss at my office, so I can get out anytime. Well, that's always a plus. <laughs> I know my boss too. She lets me out every once in a while. Well, well I wasn't talking about that boss. No. <laughs> <laughs> Me on lockdown. <laughs> oh, Dave, stay safe, stay healthy. Okay. We really appreciate your time, and we'll talk soon. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Have a good Take one. Swim with a Mission is proud to support Hidden Battles Radio. Hi, I'm Phil Taub. My wife, Julie, and I started Swim with a Mission to support our veterans. Our freedom is not free, and it comes at a heavy price. There are too many veterans in our community struggling in silence. Please check us out at swam.org, S-W-A-M.org. And if you know a veteran that is struggling, I hope you will call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988 and push one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, so, one, we want to thank Swim at the Mission for making this show possible. We also want to thank John Dot Credit Union. John Dot Credit Union has been helping the community for over 100 years. Uh, their mission is to guide their members to making smart financial choices. You can reach out to them at jdcu.org, or find them on Google. I don't have the paper in front of me, but it's okay. Listen, John de Credit Union has been a huge part of us ever since day one. So check them out. If you have any questions, comments, fire us off uh, an email, info at hiddenbattlesfoundation.org. Um, Again, a huge thank you to Detective Captain David Betts from Chelsea PD for coming on uh, tonight and uh, sharing his story about uh, finding his son, David, who uh, it's been six years. I believe it was February 22nd was the six-year mark um, where he lost his son to suicide. So 
So listen, as we're signing off, I just want to say, if you're suicidal and if you're a veteran, you know you have the Compact Act. If you're suicidal and you're not a veteran, talk to somebody, please. And if you know somebody that you think is suicidal, the best thing you can do is just come out and ask them. Just in, in blatant terms, just ask them if they are thinking about killing themselves, if they think about taking their lives. So just come out and ask them. Don't be shy. That's the best thing you can do. You're not going to put the idea in their head if they're not. So it's just you got to have that conversation with them. It, it, it means a lot. Please. Even to the point that you don't feel that you're suicidal but you are struggling, the numbers are there for you to call. Call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. Call uh, 988. I mean, it's out there for you. And it's don't wait till you're at your breaking point. There's always somebody who's going to listen to you, and nobody's ever going to hang up on you. 988 has been operational for a little over six months now. It's the new three-digit for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and it's already handled more than 2 million inquiries uh, via phone calls, chats, and text messages in multiple different languages. So definitely reach out to that, and if you need immediate care, dial 911. All right, everybody. We want to thank you for sharing your Wednesday evening with us, Um, and check out the Hidden Battles podcast. It's available on all platforms. About a week or two after you hear it live here, it will be out um, for that to be listened to. So we're going to leave you with a little Chris Cornell. Everybody, have a great night. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks, Mike. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Scott. Thank you.